Good morning, we are Mike and Nikki, and we would like to share our story of Grace Beyond. Growing up, we had a similar upbringing in the church, where our families only went uh, a few times a year and on holidays. God was distant though, he stayed at the pulpit and he definitely stayed at church. And we were married in a church, but we really never had any connections. We believed in God, but never felt a real connection with God. For us, it felt like we could be accomplishing many other tasks um, while sitting at church. Going for a run, mowing the lawn, I'd look at my watch, be five minutes into the sermon at the church that we were at and found nothing that was rewarding to me or, or anything that I was getting out of it. We did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. We were living for ourselves. During this time, I began to sink to a really low place in my life and I was just trying to solve things in my own strength. I knew something desperately needed to change, but I just didn't know how to go about it. We lived in Grand Rapids our entire lives, knew of Calvary Church, Pastor Jim since grade school, but Calvary was this huge building on the East Belt Line, huge congregation. My mom started to attend Calvary Church and fell in love with the, the sermons, the music, and suggested that we attend Calvary. So about six years ago, Mike and I settled in our seats and the music began. Instant tears started streaming down our face and we looked at each other and we said, we've been missing this? I can't tell you what happened to us that day, but something changed our lives forever. In these years of coming here, we have found a Christian community um, a small group, Nikki's part of the women's GPS, I'm part of different Bible study groups and have just fell in love with the church. Not only that, we are now members at Calvary Church and through faithful prayer we have been able to witness God's work at hand with Nikki's parents. They became believers in May of 2013 and along with Nikki and I and our son Nate and her parents, we all were baptized this past Easter. What I found is that Jesus met me where I was. He calmed my soul and gave me a deep peace within. Calvary is so much more than just a building. It is a place where people like us can come and find God's grace and love. But it is a necessary place where people can come and find a personal relationship with Jesus. If I had to pick uh, the top 10 moments for me as the senior pastor of the church, Mike and Nikki's testimony would be one of them. Uh, it's not just because I've known Mike and Nikki since grade school. We went to grade school, middle school, and high school together, all in the same class. Uh, and it's not just because I've watched God transform them in such a way. I mentioned this last week, uh, that Mike and Nikki, too, have become so changed by God that other classmates of ours have noticed the difference and want to spend time hanging out with them uh, because they want to know what it is that has so changed their life. It's not just because uh, I've seen God transform uh, Nikki's family uh, and her parents coming to faith and seeing them sitting over here in the second row, third row. Uh, it's just fantastic. It's not even because Mike and I are now able to do an evangelistic Bible study with other classmates of ours uh, that we went to school with and be able to see some of them come to faith as well. The reason why I would pick 
Mike and Nikki's testimony of faith as one of the greatest things that's happened to me as a pastor is because it represents the blessings of a journey of faith. Almost 10 years ago, Lisa and I were living in England and we were trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what's next for us? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Uh, We hadn't always been uh, super serious about our faith, but God had been taking us on a journey where we were growing deeper and deeper in love with God. And the the move to England was another step in that direction. And we had met God in a powerful way uh, living there. And we were excited and had begun to realize when you step out on faith, when you follow where God is leading, it's amazing. And we were falling in love with where God was taking us and what he was doing. And uh, we were trying to ask one another, well, where, where does God have us go next? And we were sure it was someplace, uh, some next step that was going to be radical and wonderful and great. And maybe it was staying in England where we had begun to see God's blessing in such a great way. Uh, maybe there was something we actually applied for a job. I applied for a job in the Middle East. Uh, in the country of Jordan, and we thought maybe that was the next step, and it kind of felt like there were some open doors, and that felt like that was even more crazy uh, to go and do that. And by faith, we wanted to go and, and try something like that and see God be amazing again. And so we began to pray and say to the Lord, take us on the next step in the journey of faith. And he did. But little did we realize that the next step in the journey of faith was to come back home. For me to come back uh, to the community of Grand Rapids that I grew up in. And I remember when God began to sort of open the door and point in that direction, I remember very distinctly saying to the Lord, Grand Rapids? Really? You want me to go back and live in the community where I had difficulty in feeling lonely uh, in high school? You want me to go back into all of that? Yes. Lord, You want me to go back and live in the city where most people there, rightly so, don't think I'm pastor material? (laughs) Yes. Lord, didn't Jesus say something about how hard it is to do ministry in your own hometown? Yes. But God was very clear. And so we came. And it was hard. It's hard to move home. But it was a journey of faith, and in the midst of that difficult time, when I listen to Mike and Nikki's testimony, when I see what God has done, because we moved back here. We moved back here thinking, well, Grand Rapids, I mean, this is the place I grew up. I thought this was the place you graduated from and gone on to other things. We moved back here, and when God brought us here, he did something amazing. He began to break my heart for the people of Grand Rapids. And I realized that there were people here that I knew that I had grown up with, that I was friends with, that I had never told about Jesus. And there were people in this town who needed Jesus. And they needed to know the Jesus that I had met on my journeys and my adventures. And I needed to share it with him, share him with them. And so when we got here, Lisa and I committed ourselves to begin to pray for friends in our community where we lived who didn't know Jesus. And the very first people on that list were Mike and Nikki. And Lisa and I prayed every day. Uh, that God would bring Mike and Nikki to faith. And so to watch them share their testimony, what that represents to us is the blessings of God that come when you journey with him by faith. And they represent you. 
because their story is just one of hundreds of stories and the way we have seen God bless and be at work in this place. When I look out and I see faces of people that God has had allowed us to watch us have a front row seat for what he's doing in your life, you couldn't drag me out of this city or this place for all the money in the world. We are where God wants us. It's the most amazing thing. And when I see that story and I'm reminded of what God can do, I'm reminded of just how amazing it is when you journey by faith. It's not easy. But you, you represent to me the blessings of God that come on the journeys of faith. Now, I share that story with you because this morning we want to talk about journeys of faith. We want to talk about when God calls you to go do something, when God leads you to something, whether you're on a journey this morning to adopt a child, perhaps. Maybe you're on a journey this morning getting ready to start college or have started college, and it's a difficult year that you're looking at school-wise. Maybe you're on a journey of faith. You've recently lost a loved one. And you feel all alone and lost and God's asked you to walk this journey. Maybe you're on the journey with selling a house and trying to figure out where you're going to live. Maybe you're on the journey of a new relationship. Whatever it may be, we are on journeys of faith. God leading us through different seasons of life. And this morning, we want to talk together about the journeys of faith. So before we begin, let me pray. And ask that God will be present with us so that he will be the one speaking to our hearts. Would you bow your heads as I pray? <laughs> Father, you are an amazing God. Lord God, but sometimes you ask us to do hard things. And sometimes you lead us in places and we sit back and we say, why, Lord? What are you up to? What are you doing? God, I pray that you would give us a chance this morning to step back and to understand better how these journeys of faith work. And Lord, I pray for everyone here, especially this morning, who may be in the middle of one right now. Maybe it's a work uh, journey, maybe it's a relationship journey, maybe it's a health journey, whatever it be, I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. And God, I pray that we would hear your word clearly spoken to us. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, I'd love if you turn to Psalm 84. Psalm 84, if you want to use a Bible from the church, they're under your seat or in the rack in front of you. In those Bibles, it's page 476, Psalm 84. While you're turning to Psalm 84, let me tell you why we're turning to Psalm 84. We're beginning a series this year in the book of Hebrews. But a couple of months ago, I was on my study break, and my study break is designed for me to be able to spend time kind of getting the sermon series ready and praying through what it is we're supposed to talk about. And so I was uh, headed towards the East Coast. I was driving out there by myself, and really, frankly, I was nervous about the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you've not studied it, if you've not read through it, it's a tough book. There's lots of really great stuff in it, but it's intimidating. It's intimidating to preach through, and I remember driving out there saying, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? And I took with me a CD of the book of Hebrews uh, on CD, and I was listening to it over and over again. And the more I listened to it in my car as I'm driving to the East Coast, the more confused I got and the more nervous I got because I'd already announced we were preaching through Hebrews. There was no way out of this. And I'm listening, and I'm listening to this passage, this, this book of the Bible over and over again, and it's, not, it's making less and less sense the more I listen to it. 
Well, at times I just got so frustrated that I stopped listening and I would listen to some other books on tape or music or just think about and pray and do some other things. While I was doing that, the themes of journey and pilgrimage kept coming up over and over again in other things that I was listening to, things that I was thinking about. I didn't give that much thought to it, but I stopped halfway uh, to the East Coast, spent the night, got up the next morning uh, to drive the rest of the way and wanted to spend some time with the Lord praying. And I'm praying like, Lord, please, can you help me to understand this book of Hebrews and what you want to do? And I opened up my Bible for my reading that morning and it was Psalm 84. I was simply going through the Psalms and the very next Psalm that morning was Psalm 84. And as I read Psalm 84, it was like a light came on. Psalm 84 is all about journeying and pilgrimage. And suddenly it sort of made sense what the book of Hebrews is about. And all of Hebrews began to make sense of me. And when I use Psalm 84 as sort of a lens to help me understand the book of Hebrews, the whole thing fell into place. And I went away on my study break and I sat down and I laid out the sermon series using Psalm 84 as sort of the guide to figure out what God was talking about. Turns out Psalm 84 is saying the same thing that Hebrews is saying. It's just saying it in a lot shorter form, in a form I could grasp. So what I thought we would do is before we formally get into the book of Hebrews, I would like perhaps for God to do the same thing in your life that he did in my life, which is use Psalm 84 to kind of give you the framework for how the book of Hebrews is going to go. So we're going to look at Psalm 84 this morning. Psalm 84 is a pilgrimage psalm. What that means is, is that every three times a year, Israelites were required to go to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. They were supposed to leave their home, they were supposed to leave their fields, their work, and they were supposed to journey to Jerusalem to visit with God at the temple and enjoy the celebration of God's goodness. And Psalm 84 is about those pilgrimages. It's about those journeys, and it's celebrating the fact that they went to Jerusalem to talk about how good God was and to experience his goodness. Now, we read Psalm 84 together as a congregation at the beginning of the service, but listen as I read it again. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now in that this is a pilgrimage psalm, it's broken up into four sections. 
The first section is verses 1 through 4, and that's about the destination. The second section is verses 5 through 7. That's about the journey. The third section, verses 8 through 11, that's about the destination again. And the fourth section, verse 12, that's about the journey again. And so as a pilgrimage psalm, it's alternating between being about the destination of the journey and then the journey itself. So let's begin by talking about the destination. And the question is, where is the psalmist going? Well, the easy answer is Jerusalem. But in a way, that's not really where the psalmist is going. If you look closely, verse 2, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Verse 7, till each appears before God in Zion. Verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. In many ways, the destination that the psalmist is headed for is God. The reason why he wants to go to Jerusalem is not because he loves the city or he likes the architecture, he likes the traditions. The reason why he wants to go to Jerusalem is because that's where God is. That he can meet with God in a unique way in Jerusalem. And in many ways, this psalm is about a journey to meet God. It's about the opportunity to go be in the courts of God, to experience the blessings of God. God, God is the one who bestows favor and honor. He says, no good thing does God withhold. Nothing good. He is the giver of everything that's good. And the psalmist says, my heart is set on pilgrimage because I want to go be with him. And that ultimately the destination is not about Jerusalem. The destination is about God. I recently finished a book that was really, it was a great book. It's called The Little Way of Ruthie Lemming. It's a book that also is about someone who moves back home. And it's about the journey back home and picking up relationships with parents and with old friends and with uh, classmates, with a sister, a brother-in-law, nieces, moving back into an old life. And although the book starts a little slow, about halfway through it really gets good. And it raises really interesting questions about God, about faith, about family, about home, about place. The last chapter in the book is entitled, One's Destination is Never a Place. One's destination is never a place. And in it, the author realizes that he moved back home. I think it's a small town in Louisiana. He moved back home not to be in a particular place, but to experience in a new way relationships with his parents, with his brother-in-law, with his nieces, with this community that he grew up in, and especially with God. That's what the psalmist is saying. One's destination is never a place. It's not about getting to Jerusalem. It's about a new experience of God. The destination of journeys of faith are about meeting God. 
our high school students here at Calvary Church, have decided on their own that they want to be active in sharing the gospel in downtown Grand Rapids. And so our high school students have organized themselves uh, to go out and to share the gospel with people that they meet uh, downtown Grand Rapids. They're in charge of it. They organize it. I got to tell you, it's about the coolest thing ever. It's amazing. But you know why I'm so excited for them? Not just because they might get to see some people come to faith. Not just because this is a great thing to try and it's scary and all. The reason why I'm so excited for them is they're going to meet God in a new way. They're going to meet a God who can start conversations with perfect strangers and have it turn into conversations about the gospel. They're going to meet a God who can overcome the spiritual warfare that they're already experiencing in trying to do this. The reason why this is so great is because of who they're going to meet as they go on this journey of faith with God. This year, it feels that God is asking us to do a building project here at the church. We've been talking about that together. That's grace beyond. Uh, we've been praying about that. We've been sharing that with you. But a building project's a journey of faith. But the destination is not a building. The destination is not a facility. The destination is to meet God in a new way. God who can handle construction projects. God who can handle fundraising. God who can handle logistics. To be able for us as a church to meet God in a new way. That's the purpose for the journey, ultimately. Building's great, but the real purpose is to meet God in a new and fresh way. With Mike and Nikki, I met a new God. You see, when I lived in Ann Arbor, when I lived in Dallas, or when I lived in England, I met a God who could lead strangers to the Lord. I met a God who, when I met people and heard their story about what they were like growing up and all of those kinds of things, and then how they had come to faith, I knew God could transform all sorts of people and make them followers of Jesus. When I moved back to Grand Rapids, I met a new God. A God who could save people that I knew from grade school. A God who I knew their story. I knew their story from the beginning. And to see God come in and radically transform their lives. You see, up until I moved back here, I knew that God could save the world. I just wasn't sure he could save my hometown. And coming back here, I've met a new God. A God that's bigger, more powerful, more loving, more amazing. I didn't know him when I was here in that way. The destination of every journey of faith is God. The destination of every journey of faith is God. No matter what the journey is that you're on, if it's the loss of a loved one, if it's a new job, if it's a difficult honors class at school, no matter what journey of faith you're on, the destination is always God. That's what the psalmist wants us to know. Now, the psalm not only talks about the destination, it also talks about the process of getting there, the journey itself. Look in verse number five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Basically, blessed is the person who likes to go on journeys of faith. 
Now I want you to think for a minute. Think about the last time you went on vacation and left town to do it. Okay, think about that. Maybe you went with the family, maybe you went with friends. Think about your last vacation. Was it fun? Yeah? Did you have some new experiences? Did you in, would you want to do it again? Yeah. Was it more expensive than staying home? Yes. Would it have been easier to just stay home? Did it require more time, more planning? Did you run into anything unexpected when you were out of town on vacation? Yes, but despite those difficulties, you still would do it again because of what happened as a result of the end. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, who want to go on journeys with God because you know that even though they are difficult, you experience the blessings of being with God. But the point of this section is, is that they are difficult. The journeys of faith are hard. That's in verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca. Now, Baca, that's a kind of a tricky translators. We're not sure, they're not sure what to do with this. The valley of Baca may be a real place. NIV translators think it is, so they capitalize the B. We're not really sure. We don't know any place named the valley of Baca. More likely, it's probably symbolic. Baca literally translates into balsam, meaning balsam trees. And the best that we can understand is, is that the trees meant by this word are trees that only grow in dry places, in dry valleys. And what the valley of Baca represents are the dry valleys that we have to go through on the journeys of faith. They represent the dark valleys, the difficult things that we have to go through, the hard things that we have to do in order to get where God is calling us to go. The psalm is not just about how great it is to go on pilgrimage. It is great, but it's also very, very hard. I mentioned earlier our building project. The destination of the building project, meeting this God in a new way, seeing our facility finally able to handle what we needed to handle, that seems great. You know what seems really, really daunting? The journey. I'm well aware of the statistic. Do you know what the average tenure is for a senior pastor after a major building project is completed? <laughs> it's a real statistic. It's 22 months. It's because the valley can be so hard and the journey so difficult and it exhausts so many resources and energy and time that many people simply have to move on after it's over. I know that statistic very well. We also are potentially looking at having to be out of our sanctuary for six months. That looks to me like a dry valley. That looks really hard. I look at this and I think, I'd love to just have the final destination. The journey, that's got some dark valleys along the way. And I love the fact that the psalmist is acknowledging it. Yes, it's great to set your heart on going on vacation. It's great to set your heart on pilgrimage. But it is harder. It would be easier to stay home. We've got a building. 
We've got, it would just be easier just to leave well enough alone. It's easier simply to stay in the place that you're at. And the hard thing about the journeys of faith are you've got to leave behind what you know. You've got to leave behind what's comfortable. You've got to go where God wants you to go. And I love the honesty of the psalmist about the fact there are going to be dry valleys. You can't get to Jerusalem and to God without going through darkness. The valley of death is waiting. The valley of dryness is waiting. But an amazing thing happens in the middle of the valley of death or the valley, valley of dryness. Verse six, as they pass through the valley of dryness, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. The picture is, is of the pilgrim going through a dry valley in which nothing but balsam trees can grow. You can picture the brown and the death and it's just rocks and stone. A few trees here and there as the pilgrim is going through that valley. The valley is being transformed behind them. That rain is coming. Now how does that happen? It happens in three ways. The first is when you're in the middle of the valley. When you're in the middle of the valley of dryness, God does give you glimpses of grace, little cloud bursts, a little bit of rain in the midst of the desert, in the midst of the dryness, these sort of reminders. It's like, for example, as you're journeying the road of cancer, you get this note from a friend that shows up at just the right moment. You've just gotten a terrible report from the doctor. You feel absolutely discouraged and a friend writes you a note that feels like it's from God himself. And in the midst of that dry valley, there's just little cloudburst of rain. In the dry valley of trusting God with your child, your grown child who's walked away from the Lord, you suddenly hear news that a strong Christian has befriended your son or your daughter. They've not yet come back to faith, you're still in the valley. But it's this little cloudburst, it's this little glimpse of grace. This little glimpse to say, God's not forgotten me. God's still at work. There must be something bigger going on. I can't see. I can't see how long it's going to take. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to starve to death. I'm not going to thirst to death because I'm getting these little glimpses of grace along the way. That's the first way in which when we, when we journey through these valleys, we make it a place of water, even though it's normally a place of death. The second way is after we've traveled through the valley. Because we've done it by faith, we leave behind a beautiful, lush garden, a wonderful legacy for those who come after us. Do you know what was on this site before we built the original building here? Nothing. This is a picture of what it looked like where we're sitting right now, those are, for those of us who are old enough, not me, uh, who are here, uh, when this sanctuary, original sanctuary was built, this is the picture, a picture of the dedication ceremony. This was empty land out here. And those of us this morning who were here, who were part of that picture or part of that vision, you walk through a dry valley. You walk through a difficult valley of the sacrifice of money 
of the stress of going through a building project. It would have been easier for us to simply stay where we were, but instead God was leading us out to this place. And the people that you see in that picture, some of the people sitting around us this morning, are the people who walked through the valley of Baca on a journey of faith. And do you know what they've left behind? A legacy of life. This building is here. It was just empty space. And today, every Sunday, we gather together and God's name is praised and there is the water of life here. People are coming to faith. You drive by on the East Beltline and you see this place and it's a sign and a symbol that God is at work. We're enjoying a valley that's filled with life. And that's because some of us walk through the valley of death and left behind a trail of life. That's the second way that these dry valleys turn into life. Parents, you're making incredible sacrifices your kids don't know anything about. But they're going to come behind you after those sacrifices and following Jesus, and you're going to create life for them. You're creating a legacy of life, and they're going to get to walk in that legacy. And the psalmist says, even though you and I are going through the dry valleys, we're transforming them into a place of autumn rain. The third way that these difficult periods that we go through on our faith journey turn into life is when we get to our destination and we look back, we see that they've become places of life. It's like the psalmist says earlier in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you can picture him in the middle of this valley of Baca, the middle of the valley of darkness, the middle of the valley of dryness in which there seems to be no life. A couple of verses later, he comes out of the valley and he looks back and what does he see following him? Surely goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. In the middle of the valley, it is a valley of death. It's a valley of difficulty. It's a valley of darkness. When you're going through the process of adopting a child, when God's asked you to walk the road of being single, when God has asked you to let go of your loved one and to let them come home to be with him, when God's asked you to move into a new situation, to go to a new school, and you're in the middle of the darkness and you're in the middle of the valley, you think, I'm going to die in the middle of this thing. But when you get out to the other side, when you see what God is up to, when you meet God in a new way, when you are reminded, no good thing does God withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And while I was in the valley, I only got little cloud bursts of grace, but I've gotten to the other side. When you look back, the valley doesn't look the same anymore. Right. It's full of goodness and mercy. And you see what God was up to. You see what he was doing. And that's the third way in which that valley the valley of death, the valley of darkness becomes a place of life. The psalmist says every time you go on a journey of faith, the destination is God, but you can't get to him without going through dryness. Along the way, God gives little cloud bursts of grace. You're leaving a legacy that those who come behind you are going to be blessed by. And when you and I reach our destination of being with God and we look back on the journey and the hard, difficult things, we see goodness and mercy in the midst of them. But the key to all of this is faith. That's why the psalmist closes with the last verse about the journey. Lord Almighty, 
Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who in the midst of the valley of dryness doesn't bail out. He says, I'm going to keep going. When you're lost and it's dark and you don't know what you're doing, you don't know how long it's going to last, you don't think you're going to make it, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Not the one who sees how it's all going to work out. Blessed is the one who keeps putting one foot in front of the other and says, I'm going to keep going because I know in my soul that God is good. I know that I will yet meet him. I will yet see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he's got to show up. He's going to show up. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's next week. Maybe it's next month. But I'm not going to quit because I know he will not fail me. That's the trust and the faith that's required. Otherwise, nobody gets through the valley. If you don't believe that God is waiting for you on the other side, there's no reason to journey. And so the key to the whole thing is faith. That when you can't see it, when there's no evidence, when you don't feel it, you trust that God is true, that God is faithful, that what he's done in the past, that he will not abandon you in this valley. This is what the book of Hebrews is about. The book of Hebrews is about two journeys of faith. The first is Jesus's. It's about Jesus's journey of faith, how Jesus, who is fully God, chose to become one of us and walk through the valley of death. That because of our sins, because of our darkness, because of the mess we had made of his world, he entered into the valley of death and suffered on our behalf. But do you know what he left behind him? The trail of life. For all who come behind Jesus, who acknowledge him as Lord, who follow Jesus, we experience not death, but life. That's the legacy he leaves for us. And the book of Hebrews is all about there's only one person who created a valley of life out of death, and that's Jesus. And we get to experience it when we follow him. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't leave that path. This is the path of life. Don't wander off in this valley in other directions. There's death that way. Following Jesus, that's the path of life. And the first journey Hebrews is talking about is Jesus' journey of faith. The second journey Hebrews is talking about is our journeys of faith. Our journey of faith in following him and the journeys of faith that we go on while we follow him. Those adventures he takes us on where we have to move back to our hometown. Those adventures of faith he takes us on where we've got to trust him with our sick child. Those adventures of faith he takes us on where we've got to trust him in a new school or a new situation or when our best friend moves away or for whatever it may be. The book of Hebrews is about those journeys and about the fact that we have to keep following Jesus and we cannot turn aside. That's why our benediction for this year from the book of Hebrews is Hebrews chapter 12 which says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and protector of faith, perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus' journey is through the valley of scorn, but he did it to get to the other side. And when we fix our eyes on him and follow him on our journeys of faith, we experience the same blessings of life that he did. As a church, we seem to be being asked by God to walk with him on a journey of faith with regards to a building. You as an individual, you're either about to enter a journey of faith, in the middle of a journey of faith, or just coming out of a journey of faith. And the point is, as we go through the book of Hebrews, God wants to say, whichever one of those you're in, fix your eyes on Jesus. Blessed is the one whose heart is set on journeying with God by faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you give us opportunities to see the amazing blessings that you pour out on our life. Lord, I thank you for those that you have brought here to Calvary Church through so many dry valleys and so many difficult places. God, you have been so faithful and good. And so, Lord, I pray right now for those who are in the midst of a dry valley. They're in the midst of darkness and they don't know how to get out. They don't know where to go. I pray, Lord, that today they would be encouraged to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. That they would fix their eyes on Jesus. That they would, by faith, believe that you are a good God. And that you are leading them through this place to meet a new version of yourself. God, I ask that you would meet them in a special way and that Psalm 84 would speak to them and that the book of Hebrews would speak to them. Guide us, Lord, as a church. Guide us as individuals. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.